All right. Well, we are continuing our series called Life Together, where we talk about this concept, how the church does family. And so last week, we kind of defined what family is. And uh, maybe if you've thought about it, a family, that definition has kind of grown over the years. You know, we think of family as, you know, my direct relatives. You know, maybe you think of your family as like, um, you know, your extended family. Uh, But now family can even mean like we like are a part of an organization, you know, a part of a, a greater entity, and that's our family, whether it's our, our work family, uh, whether it's our uh, a church family. But here's the thing with, with families, okay? When you join a family, a lot of times there is a, an induction or a ceremony or an orientation, okay? Now, if you think about some of the fa- more famous concepts when it comes to joining a family, you think of like, you know, if you're joining a fraternity or a sorority, there's that uh, uh, period of, you know, hazing, or there might be a ceremony, okay? If you're joining uh, your work family, if you're getting a job somewhere, what happens? That first week, it's orientation, okay? You get uh, the, the, the big, thick handbook that you're probably going to read, skim through once, and then never read again, and with that goes your job description, so you probably don't know what you're doing after that, right? So if you think about the army, right, the main thing with the army or any branch of the military, that first initial period of time, whether it's six weeks or six months, whatever the, the time period is, it's a boot camp, it's basic training, it's really intense, right? I was watching a video about the army uh, that first week and the first day, they call it shark attack, where they are in your face yelling hardcore for like just 20 straight minutes. And you see these grown men, uh, you know, just like, just, just terrified by someone yelling at their face. And it's just really, really intense. So, but why do we have these periods of orientation and, and, and you know, this, this intense time when we join a family or an organization like that? It's because... In order to join that association or that family, that gathering, a mindset shift has to take place. And really, a heart change has to take place because you're getting ready to operate as one unit, as one family, and you are one part of that family. And that applies to your work family. If you're a part of a team, that applies to your actual family, you play a part in your actual family. If you're in the, the, the armed service, it plays a part there. It also plays a part in your church family. Because when you join the fellowship of believers, you join not just Eastridge, not just this church, you join the church. And in order to join this church and do life together as a, as a church family, a change of heart has to take place. And here's why. There's a problem that our society, our culture that we deal with, and I I deal with it too, so I'm preaching to myself. It's isolation. If you do any Google search about any statistic, you'll find that we are the most connected society and culture that, that we've ever been in history, and yet we are the most lonely and isolated culture as well. You know, people struggle with depression and loneliness. We crave community, 
but our lifestyles typically lean towards isolation. And so this is kind of the, the default of the American uh, typical weekday, okay? Not everyone falls into this, but this is just the typical picture, okay? You get up in the morning, you make your coffee, you get ready for work, and then you, you get in the car, open up the garage door, you back out, you drive to work, you try not to yell at anyone on the way to work, okay? You go to work, Maybe it's your, you're at your desk or in your office or whatever, but you're in the zone, you're working, you're trying not to get distracted, and then uh, by the time you're done, you drive back home, try even harder not to yell at anybody because it's the end of the day, you pull in your drive, your, your garage, you close the garage door, you go through the garage door into your house, and what do we do? Whew. You take a breath, you sit on the couch maybe. You watch the Disney Plus or the Netflix or Magnolia, whatever it is, you know. Now, not everyone does this, okay? This is not the picture for everybody. But if you're like me, I would love that because I'm an introvert and I love to be just at rest. Like, I'm, listen, I'm tired. Like, I know we're tired, okay? We want it to be easy. We want to rest. We want to relax, you know. Not everyone's like that. I know so you, you extroverts out there, you're like, what is he talking I don't know. Just trust me on this one. But we struggle with isolation, okay? Just, that's, that's, that's just the, the habits that we have formed as a society, just the way we do things, you know? So in order for us to do church as a family, we're going to have to shift our hearts and our minds. Because here's the thing. Doing family as a church is not convenient. Doing family as a church is not convenient it's inconvenient. Doing family as a church is not clean. It's messy because you're dealing with broken people who are all striving to follow Jesus and to, to please him and to love him with our lives. Doing family as a church is not frugal. It's costly. And doing family as a church is not easy. Is difficult. It's not convenient. It's not easy. But it is so good. Now, here's the, here's the other thing, okay? You have to understand this. The, the church that Jesus came and established through his apostles, we are an extension of that church. And Jesus never meant for the church, this church family, to be a supplement to our daily lives. In other words, it was not meant to be an add-on. Because many times we think that way, right? We have our work schedule, and, and Sunday is this little block, uh, you know, church is that little block on Sunday, and we can fit it in this week, hopefully, maybe not next week, you know, we'll see. That's typically how we think of it, right? You know, if you got something, maybe your, your, uh, your growth group on, on a weeknight or week morning, whatever it is, you fit it in to your schedule, but the church that Jesus established, it wasn't meant to be an add-on. It wasn't meant to be a supplement to our daily life. It was meant to be our life. I know it was a good one, wasn't it? That's my daughter. But in order for us to truly live out the picture that we have of the first church, and for it to truly be our life and to truly do family, 
as a church, it's going to take a heart shift and a mindset shift. And so uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, paints a picture for us of what the first church looked like, the things that they were doing. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you're online, maybe just pull up a different uh, tab with BibleGateway.com, or, or the, it may even be in the notes there. But Acts chapter 2. This is a picture that Luke paints of, of that first church. And so as we read this, we get an idea of what that church looked like and some of the things that this church did And it paints just a beautiful picture of what church family life could and should be like. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go through it together, break it down a little bit. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, this is the the church, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is Jesus' words, Jesus' commands, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, as I read this, I want you to pay attention to how many times the words everyone, or they, or together pop up. Just, just, just watch that as we read through this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were together. There's no substitute for us simply being together. So I want to break this down a little bit. There's there's three things that we see the church doing together as a church family. The first thing we see is this. The church was devoted to following Jesus together. The church was devoted to following Jesus, his teachings, his commands his example, they were devoted to following Jesus together. Verse 42, we'll just we'll read it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, that's Jesus' commands. They devoted themselves to fellowship. In other words, being together. To breaking of bread. Celebrating the Lord's uh, Supper, which we just did together. And to prayer. They prayed. Now, when you join a family, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, right? There's a, there's a certain code of conduct that you adhere to. And so there's the, you know, the employee handbook, there's the job description, there's the, you know, you sign the, the agreement of conduct that you're going to make sure that you just do what you're supposed to do in the office and behave accordingly. So I, I brushed, I dusted this off. I wrote this um, a few years ago for our family, the Holbrook family. I wrote down our, our Holbrook family values. And I, I, I went over this list with Hannah. I was like, is this still true? Like, can I use this in the sermon? Like, do we? It's like, yes, this is still true. Like, we just got to brush it off and maybe make some pretty wall art on it or something. These are our values, okay? This is how we conduct ourselves as a family. Uh, number one, we follow God's leading. Whether that requires a great step of faith, whether that requires doing something that's uncomfortable, whether that requires doing nothing at all, but simply being still, 
we follow God's leading, whatever he's calling us to do. Number two, we live with creativity. Being creative is a, is a big value for us, and so we always want to do things differently, not for the sake of being different, but we just love creating and, and designing and, and building things and looking at things from a different perspective, and so that's what we try to instill into our kids as well. It's like, you know, don't, no more movies. Go out and build something. You know, Katie wants to build a park in our backyard. I don't know with what materials, but number three, Present yourself with modesty. And we're not just talking about dress. Yes, we are talking about dress. We want to be modest in how we present ourselves, what we wear, but also in our hearts, in our minds. We want to have humility and God confidence. We want to be confident but not arrogant. So we present ourselves with modesty. Number four, we live within God's provision. God has given us an umbrella of finances and access to different types of resources and materials. So we try to live in, under that um, umbrella of, of quality of life, of provision that God has provided for us. We spend time with family. Right now, that's easier to do because everyone's so little. But as our kids get older, as they, be, as they develop more friends, as they start driving, look, I want them to go. I want them to get out and, and, to, and to grow and to be a light. But I also want them to come home. I want them to know they can come home. I want them to value being together as a family because there's nowhere else that people are going to love them more. There might not be anywhere else where people hurt them more, unfortunately, because family's messy. But I want them to come home. I want them to spend time with family. And then lastly, our value is to live in the world yet set apart. You may think the key word is that second part. No, the key word is living in the world. I want you to be out there because you're going to do more good shining your light into the darkness because you have Jesus in you than you are hiding it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Those are our, our, our values. And, and maybe you've done that as a family. Maybe you, you can think of some of the rules at work or the values at work. As a church family, our code of conduct is right here, okay? It's laid out. This, this, this code of conduct tells you how you should live in every aspect of your life. Relationships, finances, your purpose, how you dress, what you eat, how you think. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand, okay? This is not about rules, okay? Our values, our family values, they're not about rules. It's not about uh, keeping uh, the rules and, and making sure you don't step out of line. No, it's not about that. It's about being united and devoted to following Jesus together. It's about knowing that we're working from the same playbook. We're working for the same playbook. And I can count on you to hold me accountable to this. And you can count on me to hold you accountable to this. Because we are growing together and being devoted to following Jesus, the apostles' teachings, together. It's not about following rules. It's about being bonded together as we both, as we all follow Jesus. Because if we follow Jesus together, we grow. He opens our eyes. We grow spiritually. Makes us stronger. Strengthens our faith. And then we can just keep in turn strengthening each other as we uh, grow and devote ourselves to following Jesus together.
So the second thing that we see is that the church experienced God together. All right? The church experienced God together. Look at that next verse, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Just, just get a mental image for a moment. Just picture that first gathering, okay? They were in awe because God was working amongst them. But in order to see God working, they had to be together. They had to see God working in you and working in you. Now, last fall, um, Hannah and I, we joined a growth group called Experiencing God. It was at South Campus with, uh, with our South Campus family, and uh, we met for 13, 14 weeks. And we worked through this study called Experiencing God, which, is, which was all about how to recognize the will of God in your life, where God's at work, and then how to join him in that work. It was a long, intense study. And through that study, a few things happened. One, we met together in that more tight-knit family, and our relationships grew stronger. We cared for each other. But as we went through that study and as we asked God to open our eyes to see what he was doing, not only did we see God doing things in our own lives, but we got to see God at work in each of the people in that circle. And we were. We were in awe at all the different things God was doing. We, like, we'd be praying about something, and then the next day something would happen to one of our, our members of that group, and we would all just be in awe I guess we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because God can do anything and he tells us what he's going to do. But it fills you with awe and wonder. But you're not going to see it unless we're together. Yeah, you can see God doing something in your life, but it's so much more powerful and more rich when we're together. And we can remind each other of what God has done, what his promises are, of what he's going to do. Because we're together. Well, the third thing that we see is this. The church shared everything together. Now, the context of the passage that we just read is that this is just after Peter really preaching the first sermon to this new gathering of believers. And that day, he had 3,000 converts. 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was the most successful sermon you probably ever heard. Highest conversion rate. But in that group, it was a very young, very multi-ethnic group of, of believers, new believers now. And they were asking this question, okay, what do we do now? How do we do family and many who were traveling to uh, Jerusalem, maybe from out of town, and wanted to be a part of this new family, they may have stayed longer than they planned to. Maybe in, in their stay in Jerusalem, they might have lost jobs back at their hometown. But now there was this burden to take care of these new believers who were really kind of displaced because they decided to join this family of believers. And this is what we read, okay? They shared everything together. All the believers were together, okay, and had everything in common. 
Now, when they say everything in common, that doesn't mean I have, like you and I are the same. No, they were different. They had everything in common, meaning what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Not even that. It's ours now. We are one family. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It was their duty, it was their job to care for one another. It's our job as a church family to care for each other. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Hannah, my family, and I, we were in our family car, and we were going on a date. We were going to drop the kids off at a sitter, and so I stopped to get gas, and I, I pumped the gas, and I go get back in the car to crank it up, and it's not turning over, you know, and it's, you know, I do all the, the things I know how to do. It's, it wasn't the battery. Um, tried to get it jumped, not working. It just, it just wasn't turning over, so we were stranded at the quick trip with a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and, wait for it, a one-year-old. So I ran in and got some snacks just to keep the peace, okay? But we were stranded there, okay? And listen, like, we were a minute from home. If we, if we were desperate, I mean, we could have walked 10 minutes home. But try not to do that with a family of five. But I, I hate that feeling of being stranded, you know? It's a very uncomfortable feeling. So what did we do? What, you know, I don't know where we were before cell phones. We, we were on the phone calling. Our family lives 10 minutes away. They're not available. No one's picking up. You know how, like, one person doesn't pick up and no one picks up in your family? So we called our church family. Cameron Moore, who was in our, our, that same growth group, and David Biglow, who was in that same growth group, were playing disc golf at the park about five minutes away. All right, they, they cut the game short to come get us. You, you throw that picture up there. We call this the dad squad. Okay, that's uh, David Biglow that we see. The other calf legs that we see are, I'm pretty sure those are Cameron's. And then I'm in the, the driver's seat steering because I needed to make sure it was going the right way. But they show up, and, and David's like got this... Like, what's up with the dad squad? They show up in two Honda CRVs, outfitted, okay, ready? Outfitted with car seats, kids' toys. And I'm pretty sure if you dig far enough, there were kids' snacks. Because we're a family of five. We couldn't all fit into one car. So they, they brought their, their fleet, right, the dad squad fleet. And they, 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 we, uh, we hopped in. Hannah and a couple of the babies went in one car. Me and Katie went in one, the other car with Cameron. And they drove us home. Eventually got the car taken care of, but we share everything together. The church family life is not convenient. I mean, they had to cut their disc golf game short, y'all. We all had plans that night, though, and all the plans changed. We were going to go on a date. didn't happen. They didn't get to finish their game. Uh, the Big Lows, David and Marissa, were, were going to be hosting a dinner. They had to change their plans and shift. Just, they had to adjust. Because church life, it's not convenient. But it is good. Church life, doing life together as a church, 
is worth it. And here's why. Here's, here's what happens when we do life together, when we do family together as a church. We're going to finish out this verse. Here's the result. Here's what happens, okay? All this is going on, okay? They're, they're meeting together. They're sharing together, okay? All the while, verse 47, they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord had added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jesus said the world will know us by our what? By our love. When we love each other, when we are truly living out this, this picture that, that Jesus gave us of what the church could and should look like, when we, when we live it out, it's a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful that the world leans in because it's different. And when it's beautiful and the world leans in, the family grows. He adds to our number daily those who are being saved. But here's the thing. I've been saying it this whole time. Doing family together as a church requires a heart shift and a mindset shift. At the end of that verse, when they shared everything together, it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's the kind of mindset that we have to have in order to have church community the way that Jesus intended for us to have it. And that's hard. Like I mentioned earlier, we, we, want, we have like our routines, okay? Sometimes we, don't, we may not like some other people in our family. So I want to give you like a little uh, set of questions, a little quiz to ask you. Is your heart glad? Are you glad and sincere? As a follower of Jesus, are you a glad and sincere person? So I'm going to ask you these questions, and I want you to just take a moment. Just take a moment and reflect. Are you glad? Does the grace of Jesus, which has forgiven your sins and redeemed your life from the power of sin and death, does this grace cause your heart to overflow with gladness? Do you rejoice in his cross? The fact that Jesus died and rose again. Do you rejoice in his love, in his word, in following his commands? Do you rejoice in his calling on your life? Do you rejoice in being united to him and united to his people? Do you rejoice in this? Now, does that gladness, that rejoicing, does that gladness remove insincerity from your heart? Does it, does it cause you to not grumble and complain so that your deepest desires and motivations are to serve God with your whole heart and to serve others 
especially your church family? Does being glad cause you to remove the insincerity from your heart? Are you glad and sincere? Because when we have that mindset, when we're glad and when we're insincere, no longer does doing family as a church become inconvenient, it becomes joyful. No longer does it become costly, it becomes joyful. No longer does it feel and seem messy, it becomes joyful. No longer does it seem difficult. I'll take that back. It will probably always be difficult. But you know what it's like to do something that's difficult with a glad and sincere heart, with joy, knowing that God's going to give you the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve your church family and to serve others. Are you glad and sincere? Now, I want to give you some, just some quick tips, too. Like, if you're thinking, man, where do I start? Like, how do I get more involved? Like, what do I do with church family? You know, glad and sincere. They devoted themselves. They were breaking bread. All right. Just some quick, practical things you can do, okay? All right. Number one, first and foremost, read the code book. Like, read this. It's not about following the rules. It's about following Jesus, Okay? Read this, pray, let the truth change your life so that you are more open and ready for a glad and sincere heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, be here. You're here online. You're here. Be here. Be together. Just show up. Number three, okay, this is a hard one for me. Hang out in the atrium for an extra five minutes that you might not normally Mingle. Learn someone's name. Ask someone's name who you should know, but you, you forgot. Go up and ask them and say, hey, tell me your name again. You know, and then just learn their name. Ask them their name. Talk to someone that you might not normally talk to. Introduce yourself to someone. Listen, as a challenge for me, I'm an introvert. But if you do it, you'll make connections. You'll feel a connection with someone, even if it's just for a few minutes before you leave today. Okay, number four, serve on a team with fellow family members. You don't build bonds like you do on a serving team, whether it's the worship team, whether you're back with the babies, whether you're in the booth, whether you're serving on the front lines at the food pantry. You don't form bonds with other church family members like you do when you're serving, when you're sweating, when you're laughing, when you're crying. So serve on a team. Number five, join a growth group, a more tight-knit family. If, if you learned anything from the story I told earlier, join that growth group so you can build those relationships and see God working in your life and in the lives of others. Number six, meet up during the week, do lunch, do coffee. I talked to Kenan earlier. He gets up to work really early, and he wants to do lunch, and I want to do lunch with him. So we're probably going to, I don't know if Waffle House is open at 4 a.m., but we'll make it happen. We'll do something. Get together. I heard a yes, so we're good. Number seven, make yourself available. When someone asks for a ride, when someone asks to borrow something, listen, there's a place and a time for good, healthy boundaries. There's also a good place and a time to do church and do family together as a church. So make yourself available with your time, your talents. Maybe you just need to give of yourself to go over and help somebody with something, your resources. 
Anyway, so just pick one of those things, okay? Maybe you gravitated towards one. Just pick one that you're going to work on. For me, I'm probably going to go work on the atrium thing for five minutes out here. So if you see me out there, just, you know, bear with me. I love you all. Last thing I want to say is this. We are descendant of this family that we just read about. Like you and I, this, this room right here, we are descendant of this family. And so what I want you to do real quick is I want you to do this. Just real quick, just put your head on a swivel. You don't have to make eye contact. Look around the room. Like, this is your church family. Y'all come to the 930 service. You're 930 years. Like, this is your church family. It is our responsibility to be there for each other. So be there for each other. Love each other. Because when we do, okay, when we love each other, when we unite, when we devote ourselves to following Jesus together, when we gather together and experience God working, and when we share everything that we have together, the church grows. People lean in. And God adds to our number daily those who are being saved. So let me pray for you guys. Lord, we are your church. Lord, we give ourselves to you. My prayer, Lord, is that as we leave this room today, the bonds that we form and the connections that we feel to each other would continue. That we would act and do what we need to do to to love each other and to serve each other and to, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Father, we are your church. We lay ourselves at your feet. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, I love you. Like, go as you leave this place. Like, well, just do this. Just stand up real quick. Just stand up, okay? Okay. As you leave today, do not forget. This is your family. So as you leave, go and do family as a church. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next time. Make sure you grab your VBS sheets or or check out the website. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.